Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of months ago in episode 70, I did a podcast about some of the influences that drive property prices, particularly rent, which is one which quite often gets overlooked. We keep focusing so much on increases in population, but there's other drivers as well, which are probably more significant even than that, particularly the availability of money. But I was thinking about this the other day, again, because I was on the Progressive Facebook group And I saw a fantastic question posed by Paul McIntosh. So I contacted Paul and I told him I'd be covering this subject in the podcast. So here's what Paul said. He said, hi, everyone. Around making offers, I'd be really interested in hearing the views of the group members as to which camp they're in and why. Do you A, make a very low offer, knowing at the back of your mind that it's probably going to be rejected. Then you move your offer up in stages to a limit that you have to try and secure the deal. Or B, Using your figures, you make your one and only best offer and stick with it, even if it does initially get rejected. This offer may not be the magic 15-20% to BMV. Whatever you choose, what's your reason why? And I thought that's a very interesting question. By the way, I'm not sure that I'm going to give you my answer because I think it's one of those all-depends things. It all depends on what you're negotiating, who you're negotiating with, what their expectations are, what your expectations are. And I don't believe in hard and fast rules. I think that it's a matter of adapting to the moment. But it's a great question because it's really prompted me to think around prices and negotiating and how we make offers. By the way, if you're wondering what my technical view is, I'd say that the answer is somewhere between the two, actually. But anyway, we can think about that later. So in this podcast, I'd like to think about price. In other words, how much we should, say, pay for a property or indeed sell a property. And in the next podcast... I'd like to think about negotiating and making offers. Now, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, but two fundamental mistakes made by property investors is to either pay too much for a property or to sell too cheaply. I'm going to repeat that because I think it is important. A fundamental mistake made by property investors is to pay too much or to sell too cheaply. And of course, both of those can play havoc with your property investing success. Now, Oscar Wilde once famously said, a cynic is a man who knows the price of everything but the value of nothing. And clearly in property, it's important to be able to distinguish between the two. What is the difference between price and value? Now, you'll sometimes hear it said that value is the price someone is willing to pay. And that sounds very reasonable. And I've heard many people say it. I've heard trainers at Progressive say it. And I listen and I nod because in a very general sense, yeah, it's kind of right, isn't it? We we kind of know that it's right. But this might sound a bit strange, but in a technical sense, it's actually not right. It's strictly not true. Most of the time it probably is true, which is why I think we say it and it goes without comment. But when you dig into the subject, you'll realise it's actually not right technically. What am I talking about? Well, believe it or not, there is a definition of value. It's used by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. So when a valuer comes around to put a mortgage valuation on your property, for example, they should be thinking about the RICS definition 
of market value. Now, I went onto Google, a wonderful tool that it is, and I found the international definition of market value, which is very similar to the old UK definition that the RICS used to have in the Red Book when I was a practicing surveyor. It's good enough for our purposes. But actually, if you're a practicing chartered surveyor, and if it's been updated for the UK, if you want to put a, a post up on the Facebook group and tag me in, I'd be very interested to see what it is nowadays, because my Red Book, which is the the, the Bible for valuers, if you like, which tells you exactly how you're meant to do evaluation in accordance with RICS guidelines, expired many years ago when my PI policy expired many years ago when I stopped doing surveys and valuations. But anyway, let's have a think about the international definition of market value, because as I say, for our purposes, it's good enough. And it defines market value like this. It says market value is the estimated amount for which an asset or liability should exchange on the valuation date between a willing buyer and a willing seller in an arm's length transaction after proper marketing and where the parties had acted knowledgeably, prudently and without compulsion. Now the explanatory notes which go with this state that it ignores any price distortions caused by a special value. So what does that mean? Well, it's telling us to ignore any value that reflects attributes of an asset that are only of value to the special purchaser. So in other words, it's saying ignore the fact that someone may pay more because the property is worth more to them. Ah, so if you technically go by the definition, you'll see that it's actually not the amount that somebody would pay. Somebody may be prepared to pay more than other people because they can see something in the property which will benefit them particularly, but it which wouldn't benefit the market as a whole. So why would somebody pay more than the market as a whole? Well, we're going to think about some of those reasons later. So this definition is definitely telling us that value is not the amount that someone is prepared to pay. And we need to understand why someone is prepared to pay what they're prepared to pay before we can judge whether what they will pay truly reflects the market value, if that makes sense. So the idea that price is what someone will pay is actually a little simplistic, isn't it? And it blurs the difference between price and value. And I'm sure that many of us will be able to think of instances where the price paid by us or by someone we know for a property or a commodity or whatever did not actually reflect the true market value. And if that weren't the case, we wouldn't be able to purchase something if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. MV, would we? Because if the price was the value every time, 
then every property sold would be sold at market value and we wouldn't be able to buy them at below market value, if you see what I mean, because there wouldn't be a below market value because the price would be the value. If the value really is the price that somebody's prepared to pay, then you can't have a below market value, can you? Stands to reason. Now, what I think we should be concentrating on is remembering that the only price that we're interested in paying is the price that works for us. So you'll know how much you want to pay for a specific property because you'll have researched the market, you'll have estimated costs, you'll have thought about your target return and so on. In other words, you'll know why you want to buy a particular property and mostly that's going to be for financial reasons, I'm guessing. So you'll do your homework on the figures and you'll know that there'll be a maximum price at which this property works for you. Alternatively, if you're buying at auction, there'll be a maximum bid which you can bid up to and then stop and it's important to stop even if others continue to bid. If you pay more, it won't work or using property talk, it won't wash its face or the figures won't stack up. And you'll know what that price or bid point is and you'll be aiming to pay less than that maximum. So the price you offer for a property should in no shape or form be influenced by the asking price. Let me just say that again. The price you offer should in no shape or form be influenced by the asking price. And similarly, at auction, the amount that you bid, or the maximum amount you're prepared to bid up to, should not be influenced by the guide price, or, if it's known, the reserve. Now, I'm sometimes asked questions like, isn't it standard practice to offer 5% less than the asking price? Well, the short answer is definitely no, and I'm not even sure where ideas like that come from. I mean, why 5%? It's very arbitrary, isn't it? You see, the problem with that is, I take the view that I don't know how the asking price has been arrived at. So, in that sense, I have very little regard or respect for the asking price, especially when I'm making an offer. And if you think about it, the asking price might have been arrived at in any of the following ways. It might have been carefully and thoughtfully considered by an estate agent who's taken into account their knowledge of sales prices achieved in the area. And it might be reasonable and realistic. Or it might be an inflated figure provided by the estate agent to make sure that they secure the vendor's sale instruction. Or it might be an unrealistically high price set at the insistence of the vendor and the estate agent has no alternative but to comply for the time being. Perhaps they're working on the basis that once the vendor has tried this asking price for a while and hasn't actually sold the property, they can then talk some common sense into them and get them to reduce the price to a more realistic level. Or it could be an unrealistically low price set by a vendor who's decided to sell privately, but who is out of touch with achieved prices in the market. That could be the case if it's a director vendor, for example, and they don't want to deal with an estate agent and they don't really know what they're doing. Or the price could be a realistic price for the property in its current use, but it may not adequately reflect the possibility of increasing value through a change of use or by redevelopment. So the point I'm making is, don't assume that the asking price is right or based on a realistic assessment. It may not even be close to being right. So arbitrary rules like always offer 10% less than asking price or always offer 5% less than asking price really mean nothing at all. Never, ever, ever base an offer on the asking price. Just don't do it. Now, until an investor's done their research, they won't know how realistic the asking price is. 
And so when opening negotiations, you should rely on your own opinion of value and deciding on the amount of your opening offer. It's also true that unless the asking price is qualified in terms like reduced for a quick sale or offers in the region of, it won't in itself give any clues as to the willingness of the vendor to negotiate. In other words, it won't give any clues as to the vendor's motivation. I always say at Masterclass that Rightmove is a great tool. I love Rightmove, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, all it shows is a few photos and an asking price for the property. It rarely tells us about the motivation of the vendor. Although in fairness, it might say priced for a quick sale, or we might be able to see that the price has been reduced since the property was put on the market, and they may be clues that there's some kind of motivation. But usually, it doesn't comment or hint at the motivation of the vendor, which is one of the main determinants of price. Let me say that again. One of the main determinants of the price you're going to pay for a property is going to be the motivation of the vendor. In an auction context, the catalogue may show a disclosed reserve, or even state that there's no reserve if there's a real urgency to get rid of the property. But until you pick up the phone to the auctioneer and make an offer prior to the auction, or alternatively, if it doesn't sell on the day, you make an offer after the auction, you won't know whether the vendor will be flexible or not until you hear the reaction to the offer that you actually make. Now, there will be times when the price paid is going to be below the true market value. In other words, BMV. There may also be times when price paid is above the true market value. But why would anyone want to pay more than the market value? Well, there could be any number of reasons. And I think this is really important because I hear so many investors talking as if the only deal you should ever negotiate is a below market value deal. Now, there are good reasons why, in many instances, buying below market value is a good thing. But there are times when an investor may pay full asking price or even above asking price. So let's think about this now. More often than not, it's all about gaining control. Getting control of the property is actually more important than paying what we could call the right price. Because perhaps getting control allows you to do other things with, say, other properties which you already own and may allow you to release more value out of those properties. Put another way, perhaps more importantly, owning that particular property, even at a higher price, allows you to release more value from other properties nearby. And an example of this could be a developer paying over the top for a ransom strip. They may pay a ridiculous amount of money for a small amount of land. If that land, for example, allows them access to a much bigger plot from which they can then extract even more value. Or maybe it's not about releasing value from other properties you own. Maybe you can see an opportunity to release value from the property which you're buying, which others haven't seen, and which isn't factored into the price. You may look at a piece of land and see more in it than the owner or their advisors have. For example, I recently bought a piece of land which had planning permission for two houses, and my architect had a look at the plot, went down, measured it up, and redrew the plans and applied for planning consent for five houses. Now, in fairness, if you know the story, you'll know that was rejected. But at the moment, we're very, very hopeful that the planners are going to give us planning consent for four units. Unofficially and informally, they've indicated that they will. Now, that's double what was on the land before. That was an opportunity which the previous owner 
and their advisors hadn't seen, but which myself and my team were able to see and hopefully will be able to realise. Or another time you might pay a price which is higher than the value, or perhaps a price which is higher than the asking price, is if you can negotiate terms other than price, and those terms more than compensate for the higher price. So a classic example could be if you offer a price substantially over asking price, but on condition that you don't buy now, perhaps you agree with the vendor to delay completion for several years. That could make it well worthwhile to agree a higher price, knowing that your cash flow doesn't have to find the purchase price for several years. Now that's just an example, and there are numerous benefits that you might negotiate depending upon what it is and where it is and what you want and what the vendor's aspirations are. It could be that a buyer could pay more than asking price because they're effectively in the position of being a special purchaser, as we've just seen with the RICS definition. And this is where, because of their own circumstances, which are not recognised by the seller, they may be able to release extra value or extra money from the property or another property, which another purchaser couldn't. So the developer may pay more than market value or asking price for a piece of land that's required as part of a larger development site. Other times, when you do your research, you just know that the price being quoted is too low. This can happen. And rather than risk losing the property by negotiating too hard, you might decide on a preemptive strike and to offer the asking price or even more than the asking price just to get the property taken off the market before somebody else comes in and takes it. An example of this could be where the vendor has been badly advised by an agent who doesn't really understand the market, or where something of value has been missed by the vendor or their agent, such as the ability to get planning consent for redevelopment or a change of use. A classic example of this could be where large family homes in a particular area sell at a certain price, but the buyer is confident or knows that they can obtain consent to split it into a house in multiple occupation. As a HMO, the property might be worth significantly more than a house in single occupation as a family home. This type of situation can occur simply because the vendor overlooked the possibility, or where perhaps local authority policies have changed, unknown to the vendor, but known to the buyer. Or there could be situations where the purchaser's own circumstances mean that they can afford to pay more. An example of this could be where they have access to favourable finance terms, which means that they can afford to outbid perhaps an average buyer who has access to finance at more expensive market rates of finance, for example. Another example, which I'm sure many of us have heard of, is where a builder can afford to outbid most buyers of a property if the property requires attention and work. Maybe it needs a refurb because the builder can get the works done far more cheaply than most other buyers. It might be that the builder's buying the property with the intention of getting his team in to do the work during quiet times. He might think that if he has to pay them anyway, he may as well get them to renovate and refurb his property. In effect, he's getting the work done for next to nothing, and so he can afford to pay more than someone who would have to pay for the work to be done. But price is only one of the terms that you should be interested in. And if you can agree on one or a combination of several terms, which we'll think about in the next podcast, it might make paying more than asking price or more than market value make perfect sense. Another thing which might affect our view on price and value is market trends and where prices are likely to go in the future. If in rather uncertain times you think prices are likely to fall, 
then you might want to agree a price which factors in the potential for a fall as an insurance policy. Many investors would do this by buying at a discount to the current market value. And if you think prices could fall, say, 10%, you may want to factor in a 15 or 20% discount, not just to cushion against any future fall, but also to make sure that whatever happens in the future, you'll still have equity in the property. But if, on the other hand, the market's really buoyant, and you think that prices might increase strongly, either in the market as a whole, or for this property, or for this particular type of property, then you may feel it's acceptable to bid over the asking price to secure the property, should you really want the property. Because of current market conditions, you may think that sounds absurd, but in very strong markets, buyers do exactly that. An example of that could be gazumping, where somebody goes in and puts in a higher bid than a bid that's just been accepted. Causes a lot of trouble and the government keep telling us that they're going to outlaw it, but it still happens. So there we are. There's many reasons why we may want to pay more than asking price. The key thing to note, though, is what we don't want to do is to base whatever we pay on asking price. And if I was to sum up what I've been saying in one sentence, it would be you can't decide what you want or need to pay until you fully understand why you're doing the deal. Let me just say that again. You can't decide what you want or need to pay until you fully understand why you're doing the deal. In other words, you need to understand what you're buying the property for. You need to understand what the end point is going to be after you've bought the property, and you need to work out what the figures are for you. In my experience, when you look at the bigger picture, price only becomes one of several factors that drives the deal. And price is actually a personal thing. You will have your price at which a deal works for you. Other investors may have a different price at which the deal works for them. So in the next podcast, we're going to be thinking about offers and how to make offers. Until then, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, then please go on to the Progressive Facebook group. Tag me in. We'll get a bit of a discussion going. Be very interested to hear your thoughts on this. Maybe you've got an example of where you've paid more than asking price, where you've paid more than market value, and the deal worked for you. It'd be really interesting to see any examples of that, if there's anybody out there who can help with that. So please get in touch. In the meantime, if you want to know more about me, Peter Jones, come over to my website, www.thepropertyteacher, all one word, thepropertyteacher.co.uk, and I'll see you there. Otherwise, until the next podcast, here's to successful property investing. Bye.